millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So if you've stumbled on this podcast and you like what you hear, uh, please subscribe and download. It really helps build our community and get other people to notice what we're doing. Subscribing and rating us on iTunes is one great way. You can also go to our website, howdowefixit.me, for more. Thanks. Thanks. It's Fix It Shorts with Richard and Jim. Solutions podcast in 15 minutes or less. Jim, it's summer here in New York, and in this part of the country, at least, it's time for the great outdoors. Well, I would hope that's true everywhere, unless you live somewhere where it's 120 degrees. Yeah, yeah, and there have been a number of parts of the country that have had that. But in this show, we look at ways to add a little adventure to your life. Even people who live in cities, not just taking a vacation, but all the little things we do in our daily lives. Keo Stark is the author of When Strangers Meet, How People You Don't Know Can Transform You. She makes the case for talking with strangers. There are genuine emotional benefits when we connect with strangers. When I say connect, I mean anything from a mutual glance to a hello to a longer conversation. There's an amazing power in being seen. We live in cities, we don't see each other. And when you are seen, when you notice that someone is acknowledging you, it's a momentary bond and what you call fleeting intimacy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we all have a need for intimacy. And there are pieces of intimacy that we can only get from the people we're very, very close to. Then there are the parts of intimacy that are connectedness and belonging. And you get those from these brief acknowledgments. You get a brief sense of being connected to other people. What are some of the other benefits? Well, I think there are political benefits to more people doing this. So we live in pretty insular ways, unfortunately, in terms of particularly class and race and ethnicity. And when you talk to someone who's different than you, you are forced to see them as an individual in a way that you wouldn't have before. And the more people who are different from you that you see as individuals, the more rich your experience is of anybody you put in that category. And there are all sorts of sociological principles about this where there's one called mere exposure, that just uh, having a positive experience with someone generalizes to the entire category of people. 
So you have this great phrase, you say, it's important to use perception instead of categories in encountering people. Explain that. So we have a kind of shorthand when we pass by people on the street, when we see them even at a party or in a bar, you know, we take a look and without really realizing it, we sort of clock it like, you know, male or female, white or black or brown, old or young. And we make assumptions based on that. Yeah. You have a good friend, a, a woman who travels extensively, I believe, in Central Asia. And Africa, yeah. A, and goes in on her own to communities where she doesn't know a soul. How does she do that? And how does she make a safe space for herself while still speaking to strangers? Absolutely. So if you go to a place where you know absolutely no one, probably hang back and observe a little bit to get a sense of who it might be okay to connect with. And then if you're in a culture where it's okay to make eye contact, do that. Smile or ask for help. Asking for help is a great way to both get into a conversation and also to get someone's sympathy and empathy. Yeah, the way you put it, I think, was you need someone to see you as an individual. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for remembering that line. I, I don't have it memorized anymore. Keo Stark making the case for getting outside your comfort zone and meeting strangers. I love this conversation because it shows you can have an adventurous attitude towards life, even in a city environment, just by engaging more with the people around you. Another part of outdoor living is biking and walking. In cities and towns, cyclists, pedestrians, and drivers have to share the road. Safety is a big issue. We spoke with writer and researcher Nicole Gelinas of the Manhattan Institute. Yeah, here in New York, traffic fatalities have dropped more than 60% since 1990, which is, which is a remarkable thing. Yeah, except they're still way too high. Yeah, and, they you know, are. Too many pedestrians getting killed, too many cyclists getting killed. And as more cyclists go on the road, we really have to wrestle with how to create environments where people can survive. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio is promoting something called the Vision Zero Initiative. The goal is no traffic deaths by 2024. Nicole Gelinas. De Blasio didn't create this. This comes from an idea that Sweden implemented probably going back 15 years ago or longer. Sweden said, we are going to eliminate traffic deaths. And although they haven't eliminated them, they've come pretty close. Stockholm only has an average of six traffic deaths a year. And of course, we may never get to none, just like we'd never get to no murders and nobody falling off a ladder and hitting their head. But it is a good goal to say no traffic death is acceptable, that the way we used to think about these things as was an accident. It couldn't have been prevented. And now we say... How can we prevent each death? So what do you do? Continue with the enforcement, broaden it out. Talking on your phone or texting is very much like drunk driving in terms of being distracted. And so the penalty should be similar. 40 years ago, a person could have a couple drinks, get in a car. They wouldn't be considered a pariah if they were caught. And I think in most of American culture now, it's socially unacceptable to drive drunk. It should be the same with texting, talking on the phone. And the other part of it is 
lower speed limits, especially in an urban area where people are walking and bicycling. If you want to come into a dense city with a car, the price is that you drive very slowly. There's no human right of driving quickly through a dense city. And then the other part is street design, protected lanes, wider yeah. sidewalks, and I so forth. I think this part's fascinating. I always had the sense that you can set the speed limit anywhere you want, but people are going to drive the speed that they feel comfortable driving. Right. And if you have a wide open road with wide lanes and you don't see a lot of pedestrians and the signal is to go fast. Whereas if you have narrow lanes, you've got pedestrians standing on islands that bulb out into the street, you've got bicyclists going past, you have to go a lot more slowly because you've got to look out for these people. And the the, the, uh, speed limit throughout New York was reduced from 30 to 25 on city streets. Yep. Talk to us a little bit about what happened when someone is hit by a car going, say, 40 miles an hour versus, you know, 25. There's a 90% chance that you'll die at the higher speed, whereas if they're only going 20, 25, there's a 90% chance that they'll live. And yet to the driver, those speeds don't seem all, 25, 40 don't seem all that different. Right. And first of all, people say... Well, it's, it causes too much congestion if people are going at a slower speed. That's really not what causes congestion. What causes congestion is more cars. I mean, you, you are the congestion if you're in a car. That's not to say that you're a bad person and you're not progressive. People have good reasons for coming in a car, but they should not expect to go very fast. It, it's almost as if you come into Manhattan herding a flock of sheep and you think you're going to go very fast and make progress. It's not conducive to city streets. Has Stockholm, Sweden, done things that have not been done in New York yet? I mean, why has Stockholm been so successful? I think it's more changing the culture that people have absorbed this message that I'm getting into this heavy vehicle that could cause damage. So it's my responsibility to make sure that it doesn't cause damage. Nicole Gelinas of the Manhattan Institute on episode 71. You can find these episodes uh, on the pages of our website, which is howdowefixit.me. Jim, I know you're an outdoor guy. You love to bike and hike a lot, go major distances. Uh, With cycling, uh, what are a few smart tips that you know about that maybe others don't? Well, you know, they're, they're mostly pretty obvious. The first is just to drive your bike like a vehicle. Be predictable, follow the rules, and... And be seen, right? And be seen. So, you know, I'm a big advocate for having lots of lights. Even on the daytime, I have a flashing light on the front and the back of my bike just to make the bike more visible. But also... You have to ride. Don't ride too defensively or too cautiously. If you're hugging the curb and you're acting as if you don't deserve to be on the road, drivers will treat you that way. Claim your chunk of the road. It's okay to take up part of the lane. If there's cars parked next to you, you really have to take up some space because one of the biggest hazards is people opening a door right in front of you. Yeah, I'd rather have a driver beeping at me than not knowing I was there. Right, right. And I think that this is something that as more people commute by bike and as people get more used to bikes on the road, if the bikes behave themselves and the cars treat them with more respect as well. Now, you're also a hiker, and I've been out a bit in the wilderness, and my fear is, is getting lost. Yeah. Actually, I worked on a whole series of articles uh, for National Geographic Adventure some years back about what happens when people get lost. And here, too, a lot of the advice is just common sense. 
but it's very easy not to follow it. One of my first rules is everybody on the hike has to know where you're going. If for some reason you got separated, you don't want to say, oh, well, Bob's the one with the map. I have no idea. Right. In, um, and then there's those simple things. Every group should have the usual you know, map, compass, knife, matches, basic survival gear. And, and a whistle. I, I think a whistle is one of the greatest things, especially for kids. I, I learned um, that from Miranda. Yeah. She for, got lost on one of her hikes. Yeah, and, and it was scary. The, the whistle uh, is a big deal. Uh, a whistle is one of your most important pieces of safety equipment. All your kids should have a whistle, even if you're just hiking in local nature preserve. Now, just one more thought on this, Jim. I'm not as adventurous outdoors as you are, but whenever I do go out for a bike ride or a hike, I always come back refreshed. I never yeah. want to go, but I always come back feeling better. You don't want to go hiking? Maybe you're thinking of going to the gym. <laughs> Perhaps. But, but I know what you mean. With a hike, it's like, you know, oh, you know, do we really want to go? I feel that way sometimes after my the bike rides. I do more for exercise than for adventure. It's like, do I really want to go? I always come back and I'm just so energized. There's something about being on a bike or being in nature. You're getting exercise, but you're you're engaging in the out of doors. You're using certain skills, even if it's just balance hiking along a rough trail or something, that it makes you feel alive. It makes you, and in response, afterwards it just lifts your whole mood the case for summer the case for the great outdoors it's fix it shorts i'm jim meggs and i'm richard davies if you're listening to us outside right now enjoy that walk we'll have another show next week miranda schaefer is the editor and producer of how do we fix it music by lou stravinsky all shows are productions of davies content we make digital audio for companies and causes find out more at daviescontent.com thanks jim And thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.